Welcome to The Well, a podcast all about living wisely and faithfully as a follower of Christ. The goal? To give you guidance, food for thought, and to encourage you as you engage the people and situations that you encounter daily. Now, here's your host, Sean Barkley. Well, here we are. It's April now. This would be the weekend of the Final Four in the CAA Men's Basketball Tournament. It would also be the week leading up to the Masters Golf Tournament. And yet we take a deep breath. I'm taking one right now because life is different. We all know that. There's no point in rehearsing all that. But I do want to talk about how you and I are navigating and how we're doing during this time of crisis. Now, this coming Sunday is Palm Sunday, so we're going to talk about that in this podcast, but also look at um, some of the ambitions of the people in the crowd on Palm Sunday and see if we can't find some commonalities between what was going on with them and what could well be going on with you and me. And so, by the way, thanks for being a part of this podcast. My name is Sean. I'm glad to have you along. We're going to spend about 15 or 20 minutes today just looking at this topic of ambition. And before we do that, I want to just ask you a question. Again, how are you doing? I mean, it's it's different. I'm, here, here's what's going on with me. I'm trying during this season to think about things I have formerly taken for granted and appreciate them and also think about things that I formerly thought I could not live without, and I'm finding I can do it. So this is day number 20 for me with no TV. Now, before you say, you know, what a holy man and a martyr, I'm neither of those two things. If sports were on TV, I'd be glued to it, but it's not, and so I'm not. But I hope you're doing well, and I hope that maybe you're taking the opportunity to think about some of the things you've taken for granted in your life, maybe the people in your own home you've taken for granted, and also the things that you formerly thought, I just have to do this, I have to have this, I can't live without this, and lo and behold, three weeks later, you're still alive and still surviving, and that's a good thing. So let's get started, and let's start thinking about ambition. So you and I know that ambition is an interesting thing. It can be good. I mean, I feel like I'm a very ambitious person. It can also be very destructive. Sometimes my ambition has indeed been destructive. So the text that I want to read from Mark chapter 11 is Jesus is entering into the holy city. And so you know the story. If you don't, I'll just basically tell you that Jesus was with his disciples. He was going to enter Jerusalem. He was going to celebrate the Passover feast. It would be there that he would be betrayed. It would be there that he would institute the Lord's Supper. It would be there he would be arrested. There he would be tried. There he would be crucified. And there, three days later, he would be resurrected. And we're going to talk about that next weekend. But the story this weekend is Jesus is entering the city. And as he did, he entered it humbly on the back of a donkey, but there were people who were celebrating his arrival. Verse 8 of chapter 11, many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in trees. From trees, excuse me, those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then here, catch this, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. It was an ambitious crowd. I mean, they're ahead of him, they're behind him, and they are shouting, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. They were thinking when Jesus entered the city of earthly royalty, they were thinking that he was going to restore the fortunes of Jerusalem. He was going to bring about their prosperity. 
They had an ambition for this world, for this life, and their ambition was social, it was financial, it was political, it was ego-driven. They are saying, we're going to show the world, we're going to drive the Romans out. It is all about us. And notice, if you have your Bible open to Mark 11, Jesus is silent through all this. You imagine that he is probably looking at the crowds thinking, you guys just don't get it, do you? You have no earthly idea why I'm here and what you're going to, what you're going to encounter in these next few days. In fact, in one text, it says that Jesus literally just wept over Jerusalem as he looked at it. He's like, you guys are just missing out on the boat because they were thinking about what was earthly and temporary. Jesus, on the other hand, was thinking about what was eternal and what was of God and what was spiritual. And so there was a difference there. And of course, it wasn't just the people in the crowds. Even those who were closest to him still didn't exactly get who he was. And they weren't immune to this selfish ambition. Later in the week, after the Lord's Supper, I mean, they're at the dinner table. And here's what happens. Luke chapter 22. I know we're bouncing around. Verses 24 and 26. Imagine Jesus. He is going to be betrayed that night. He is going to be arrested and crucified the next day. And here's what's going on with the disciples. Also, quote, a dispute arose among them as to which would be the greatest. Okay, just let's just ponder that for a moment, shall we? They're literally in the presence of God in human flesh who is going to sacrifice his life for them. And who are they thinking about? Not him, not the eternal ramifications of that week. They're thinking about, I wonder who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the top dog among the disciples among the people of God in this new world order that Jesus is going to initiate. And Jesus says to them, you know, the kings of the, of the Gentiles, they lord it over them, but you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you shall be the least and the one who rules like the one who serves. And so Jesus is essentially saying, you know, your image of who I am and your image of what I want to do is totally skewed by your ego and by your pride. And then the next day, of course, the crowds chant to crucify Jesus and we're left to assume, we're left to assume that the crowd that welcomed and praised him and the one that yelled crucify him included many of the same people because we don't see a great crowd of people coming to his defense on Good Friday, and we're left to conclude that they turned on him because he wasn't about their selfish ambitions. His ambition was for the Father. His ambition was not for the earthly desires of the crowd. His ambition was for the spiritual health and the spiritual lives and the eternal life of the people. And so, you know, a lot of us are ambitious people. We've had to be. I mean, I would say, personally speaking, I'm very ambitious and very motivated and very driven and very competitive. And that's served me well, and at other times it's really been to my detriment. But the, the question for us to think about today, especially because we've got so much time to kind of look inwardly and think about what life is going to be like when we come out of all this, and also think about the fact that while we're in the middle of all this national emergency, we've got some time on our hands to do some good ministry, the question to think about and ask is, for whom and for what am I ambitious?
And so that's where we're going to go. I was reading some time ago about the woman who created the Nike logo brand, so the swoosh. And I was just looking at different brands and, and chatting with friends about branding different organizations that they're a part of. And so we were looking at them, and I stumbled across the story of the woman who created the Nike swoosh. It's one of the most recognizable brands in the world. Her name is or was Carolyn Davidson, and she was a graphic design student. And she was being paid $2 an hour to do her work as a student. And she created the Nike logo, and she got paid $35. Can you imagine one of the most recognizable brands in the world? You got paid $35 to create it. Of course, I, the story goes that Phil Knight, the founder and CEO of Nike, was not even sure he liked that logo. But it was genius. But it's interesting to me that Nike, if you think about Greek mythology, she was the Greek goddess of victory. And she would fly over the battlefields, rewarding the victors with glory and fame. And that was so captivating to the people of that day, and it's captivating to us as well, the concepts of victory and glory and fame. That's kind of what we're all about. Paul understood this in his writing, and he understood our humanity. He understood that we are just what the early reformers of the church called totally depraved, that we just cannot save ourselves and we cannot get out of our own way. And even when we're walking with Christ, we still battle that. And so understanding the notion of people being so selfish in their ambitions, Paul wrote to the Philippian church these words, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. And so do you see what he's doing there? He's connecting selfish ambition with the concepts of being conceited and being vain, and he's contrasting selfish ambition with humility. Jesus was silent amid the cheers of his coming to restore the fortunes of Jerusalem because he was bringing a different message. He was bringing a message of humility and faithfulness to God. He was bringing a message of, I am here to save you eternally, not just to restore your fortunes and make things look the way you want them to look in your life right now. And the people, of course, were wanting, because of their vanity and their selfish ambition, they were wanting him to do more. And so when you and I find ourselves feeling ambitious, I think we have to ask ourselves this question, again, who does my ambition serve? I mean, during this time, I think a lot of us are dreaming about how we can get ahead when our country comes out of it, which it will, we know. We're thinking, how can, how can my church get ahead? How can we do the coolest online video? How can we have the coolest Easter service? How can we do some kind of parade? How can we have some kind of gimmick where thousands of people, because of what we have done, recognize who we are? That's a temptation for us. Or how can I get ahead with my business? How can my political party or my favorite politician get ahead? How can my personal Facebook quote or social media brand be advanced? We're thinking about all these different ways that this can serve us in the here and now. I mean, and so we have to ask ourselves, is, is what I'm doing right now feeding my ego or are others benefiting from it? You know, is my version of victory 
aligned with Jesus's version of victory as he entered into the holy city. And y'all, that's a struggle for a lot of us. I mean, I, I came across an interesting list, and I just want to share this with you, and you can obviously stop this and, and record this, but a list of things that are true when you and I are motivated by selfish ambition. So here are some things that are true. When motivated by selfish ambition, we fear failure. When motivated by selfish ambition, we use others to get what we want. So other people are objects or they are tools that we use. Whenever we are motivated by selfish ambition, we're often thinking about the next thing. Boy, I've, I've dealt with that in my life, just always being ambitious. And, all right, what's next? What's next out there? When we are motivated by selfish ambition, the need to win is greater than the desire to love. And then the final thing, I think this is a list of five, one, two, three, four, five, five, is we are often insecure. And so are those things true for you? Great time to think inwardly about who you are as I'm thinking about who I am during this crazy season we find ourselves in. Selfish ambition. But on the other hand, remember what Jesus said to his disciples, quote, you aren't to be like that. He was pointing to what God would do in their lives by the Holy Spirit. He was pointing to the fact that God could change their desires and change their motives. Think about this word, regeneration. It's an old, wonderful word that's been used by church leaders and scholars and faithful people forever. Regeneration means you and I are given a new spiritual life by the Holy Spirit, which enables us to glorify God with our ambitions. Jesus is saying, listen, I, I know it's tempting to think about what we can do to get ahead, and it's tempting to think about the world's version of victory here. I mean, remember, there's this parade of people thinking, hey, this is what this guy's going to do for us, and he's saying that's not going to be like that, not at all. No, I want you to think about how you can live a life that has been conformed by the Holy Spirit to align with who I am. You know, this past week was box birthday and i'm sitting here trying is it johann sebastian bach yes i think that's what it is i used to know that but a musician i am not so it's Bach's birthday this past week in fact the uh director of worship and art at our church had a funny video where he played some some bach and i actually recorded it for him do you know that at the end of every oratorio that bach wrote he would scribble three letters the letters were s D, G, and they stood for the Latin sole deo gloria, sole deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. In other words, every time he did something, he said, this is not for my glory, it's for the glory of God. And so what would it look like for you and me to be ambitious for God's glory and to be ambitious for the things that God is ambitious for? One of my favorite writers is a man named John Stott. He's, he's um, deceased now. He died, I don't know, maybe eight or nine years ago. Great speaker, great author, uh, just a, a, a wonderful um, gift from God to the church. And he's a very humble person. And I love how his humility was described. He was in, able to engage the richest of the rich and the poorest of the poor and always make both feel at ease. Just to be engaged with them where they are. In fact, in the year 
2005 Time Magazine named Stott one of the 100 most influential people in the world. And so was Stott ambitious? You bet he was. Traveled the world, did amazing things. You don't, you don't do what he did without ambition. But for whom was he ambitious? He was ambitious for the work of God and the work of others. And so you go back to Jesus. Because of him, the victory has been won for you and me. Friend, we are going to be with him eternally. You and I don't have to prove anything. We don't have to win anything. And this can frame our view of this national emergency, that it is not the opportunity for us to get what we want. It's actually an opportunity for you and me to become more like the person Christ wants us to be. I came across a great text, and I want to share it with you from 1 Thessalonians. I know we're bouncing around, but bear with me. We're almost done. Uh, Paul writes to the Thessalonian Christians, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands so that your daily life will gain the respect of others. Oh my gosh, think about that. Now what's going on in the church at that point is, they were thinking, well, Jesus is coming back. We don't have to do anything. He said, no, no, that's, that's not the case. He's coming back, but you still got to do something. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Now, what does a quiet life look like? To just not make noise? No, of course not. In, in this text, the word quiet is similar to the word meek, an, adi- an attitude of humility being disposed toward others and not toward self. And so during this time when we have all these ambitions and all these hopes and all these things that we hope to see come out of this national emergency, it's a time to be disposed toward others and not toward self. So let me give you an exercise to do this week. And bear with me. Often you and I say, here's the exercise. We say, I wish I could give the whole world blank. Whatever. Peace, hope, joy, whatever. I wish I could give my whole city blank. Whatever that might be. Something to eat. Um, A sense of security. I wish I could do blank for a hundred people. I wish people... I wish all these people wouldn't feel so lonely or, or so isolated. All these things we say, I wish I could do. Whatever that blank is that you just answered, I wish I could do blank for 100 people. Do it for one person. In other words, do for one what you would like to do for 100. What an opportunity that is to, to give ourselves not into our vain ambition, but to give ourselves humbly to others, to be disposed not toward self, but toward others. That's why Jesus wasn't pumping his fist on Palm Sunday. That's why Jesus was not ecstatic on Palm Sunday, because he recognized that the folks didn't understand who he was and that they they thought he was going to win them a victory that he didn't come to win. And so we can frame that in our own lives this week, we can frame that national emergency. You know, as, as, as I say goodbye to you, I love what David Brooks writes about resume virtues versus eulogy virtues. And you can kind of guess what those are. Resume virtues are how you and I get ahead in life. They have to do with what we've accomplished in life. Eulogy virtues are the qualities we'll, remem- we'll be remembered for when we're gone. How we bless someone 
and served someone and loved someone, what we did for them and not what we did for self, wouldn't this be a great opportunity to build your eulogy virtues rather than resume virtues? So that's our talk for today on ambition. I hope that uh, by the time we talk next Saturday, the day before Easter, you will have had a great week and spent some time in God's Word and, and meditating on for whom am I ambitious and for what am I ambitious. Take good care now. Bye.